Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Uh, you came on a special day. You're getting a two for one. I'm going to give you a five minute message on community. Um, my job as your pastor is not to entertain you and give you a talk and send you on your way. My job is to move you to the things of God and to the promise of God and to the promise of your life. You ever been at a stoplight and seen somebody just uh, um, not see the green light and you got to honk at them? Anybody? Who's quick to honk? Anybody? Yeah, you're just waiting there like, now! You know, like one of those people. So there's just something about uh, God giving us a green light to live the fullness of life. And the only way you have that is with the presence of God and the people of God. So I'm not going to force community on you, but I got to tell you the importance of it. Oh, I pray you hear my heart in it. There, it's, just, it's just vital. Um, I'll, I'll use a quick illustration in this first, first sermon. You're getting two sermons today. Come on now. So if you missed a Sunday, you're making up time. All right. So, so uh, when I was a little kid, uh, and this is just the true of the way God knew this, everybody needs a people and a place. Oh, you need a people and place. And so when I was seven and I'd have a bad dream, my people was my parents and my place was their bedroom. I'd run at 3 a.m. into the room and my mom was so kind, she'd scoot over and I'd just sleep in bed right there because I, I was afraid. And then, you know, I'm nine years old. My dad brings home Nightmare on Elm Street with Freddy Krueger, <laughs> lets me watch it. And my dad didn't know the Lord. Uh, and so I remember like watching that one. It scares me I've ever seen as a kid. I could not sleep in my room. So for like a week, I just run to my mom's room. I'm like, oh, Freddie's going to get me. You know, and she's like, get in, come on, come on. I was nine years old. So it was my people. It was my, it was my place when I was afraid. A thunderstorm would hit. I remember running to my parents' room. As I got older, my, my dad got angrier and angrier and our house was an abusive home. It was, it was a hard place to live. And so my, my best friend, Andrew, actually became my, my family too. And he became my people and my place. I, would, I almost lived over there in my high school years. Uh, on a hard day when my dad would flip out and start cussing me out, I just, I'd go over to Drew's and just have to decompress. And uh, I'll never forget, you know, even when I broke up with my high school sweetheart, I'd been dating for two years, and we broke up. I called Drew that morning, and he goes, man, we're skipping school, we're renting movies, and we're going to watch movies at my house. He was my people in my place. You need people when you're going through hard times. Well, as you get older, you realize that those little things will help you cope, but they won't help you conquer. And the Bible shows very clearly in the book of Philippians, and Paul shows the first church plan ever in Europe. The church, church in Philippians, uh, Philippi, uh, that they need the presence of God and the people of God if they want to succeed in life. They want to thrive in life. And, and the presence of God really is a place. David says, you are my strong tower. You're my refuge. You're my place, God. When I'm in your presence, whoo, everything's good. But Paul doesn't just say presence. He says you need people. He says help each other. He says, I need to send you Timothy. He's going to help. He talks about even um, in Philippians 4, I couldn't have done this without you. If I could use an illustration real quick. It's like Paul is a great builder and great maker, which he is. And if you're building a plane, um, there's two things in the back um, that you need to understand. This little fin in the back is for turbulence. It helps you from not crashing. Can we get an amen for that little fin? When you, next time you look at a plane, the big old wings, those are great. But you say, God, thank you for that little fin. That when we go through turbulence, it helps stabilize us. And then the vertical one helps it so the wind doesn't blow you side to side. And what Paul is saying is the presence of God is that vertical fin. That as culture tells you to go left and right, if you listen to culture for the rest of your life, you're just going to live in the same place, go back and forth, and it's going to exhaust you. But if you live in the presence of God, you're going to move forward in life. But as you move forward, you need the people of God. Because when turbulence hits, which it will, man, instead of it being a plane crash and a wreck, it's just a blip. That you, you went down, but you didn't go as far as you would have if you didn't have those stabilizers to pull you back up. And the travesty is, is that I've pastored now for 17 years, and I, people I do church with for years, and out of the blue I hear, oh, their marriage <laughs> exploded. Oh, they exploded. They went off the rails. I'm like, hold on, we've been doing life with them for three Well, I guess I've been attending church with them for three years. 
but I didn't do community with them. I actually didn't life with them because when you live life with people, it literally protects you from crashes you never would hit. They are the stable. Hey, pull up, pull up. There's something about it. Hey, did you like my first sermon? How many are going to sign up for a small group now? You're like, nah, I'm good. Try again. Okay, I got another one. You ready? I'm just kidding. Okay. I just, I really believe it. That the life I'm living, I wouldn't be here today without the community that God's put in my life. And I'm trying to add to that community. I feel like God's never done adding. So if you want to be a part of my community, I'll hang out with you. Okay, here we go. All right. You guys ready for the message? Now we're in a series uh, titled, This is Our God. I'm loving it. I don't think I've ever done this in the four years of our church. I am diverting for one Sunday. Can I do that? Yeah, thank you, Mike T. I get one yes. 10 a.m., you hurt me right now. So anyways, um, I, we do a team prayer thing every Tuesday. I, I, I do a small teaching on prayer. We pray, we worship, just start the week out that way. And so I was doing a simple thought on Ephesians 6, and I just couldn't leave it after I got into it. I just, oh, I started chewing on Ephesians 6. It's the armor, body armor of God. And I started thinking about the church. And if I could just be honest, the last two years, the church has just gotten the snot kicked out of it. It's just, I mean, you know, and just the, the stats on church and the stats on how it's just been going this way instead of this way, the stats on people flooding out of it. And I'm like, Lord, what's going on? So, so I really believe that God never set the church up to fail. Said, Lord set the church up to win. And, and, and I, I have too many coffees where I just hear Christian after Christian just tasting defeat and not tasting victory. And so I, I started reading Ephesians 6. I like, God, I get it. Why we're tasting so much defeat. You dressed us for victory, but none of us are wearing what you called us to wear. None of us are wearing it daily. None of us are prioritizing the things that you showed us to prioritize. So today, I'm going to read you Ephesians 6, and I'm going to teach it in a fresh way. I believe it. it if you know the body armor of Christ, like, heard it. Oh, not like today you have it. It's going to be fresh for you today. Does that sound good? All right, Ephesians 6. Here we go. Uh, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil and the devil's schemes. Devil's sneaky, schemy strategies. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not my problem. That's what that just told us. Your neighbor is not your problem. It says that there is principalities. Darkness is your problem. I'm gonna, I was going to do, uh, do a little team building thing. I was going to have all the Republicans get over here, all the Democrats get over here and say, you're not my problem. And then we were going to hug and say, we will unite over Jesus. And if you don't respond, I will do that. All right, I'm just kidding. So again, it shows the problem is Satan and the, the gates of hell. That's, the pro- that's what we're struggling against. That's what we're battling against. That's the force that is literally trying to divide and destroy the church. Let's keep going. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. Then with the belt of truth, buckle around your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert 
And always keep on praying for the Lord's people. We're going to be an alert church. Come on now. Uh, we're waking up today. Pray also for me that whenever I speak words, uh, they may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare fearlessly as I should. A lot of fearlessly, fearlessly, fearlessly. It's interesting, the book of Ephesians, one of my favorite epistles in all the Bible. It's one of the best books, uh, uh, if you ask me, just when it comes to pound for pound, scripture for scripture on the theology of what it means to be the church. The first three chapters is the calling of the church. Why we are alive. Ephesians 1, you are chosen to worship God. You are alive to live for God. If you're not doing that, you're not really living. So it shows why you're alive. Ephesians 2, it tells you how you're alive, by the blood of Christ. So it's the calling of the church, the first three chapters. Then 4, 5, and 6, it's the conduct of the church. It's how you're supposed to live in life. It's how you're supposed to navigate marriage and, and serve each other. It's how you're supposed to honor your parents. It's how you're supposed to uh, be infected, uh, impacted by the Holy Spirit. It's the conduct. So you have the calling and the conduct. At the very end of it, you think Paul would say, sincerely yours, Paul, peace. But then Paul goes, finally, I got to tell you one more thing. Here's why you're alive. Here's how you're going to live, church. But you need to know where you're living. So it's the how, it's the why, and the where. So here's why you're alive. Here's how you're supposed to live. Oh, and here's where you're living. You're living in enemy territory. You are living in Satan's playground. You're going to be building the things of God in the midst of a battle. Uh, shots will be fired. Darts will be thrown. Uh, things will be said. Be ready for bombs to be dropped because you aren't building in Pleasantville. You're building in the world with a lowercase God named Satan and the demonic forces that are going to want to stop what you're trying to build. So if you're going to build in enemy territory, you better wear the right gear. You better have the right tools. You better have the right weapons. You better have the right pastors. Pastor Fox is not doing you well right now, Christian. Pastor CNN is not doing you well right now, Christian. Pastor MSNBC ain't doing you well right now. They're dressing you with the wrong things. You go to the word of God, woo, it's going to dress you with the right things. You need the right shepherd. His name's Jesus. Can you bow your heads? Lord, I thank you. I thank you for what you're doing in the house. I thank you that you are the one that builds your house, and now you have called us to build your house and build people. God, we say yes to that. We say yes to getting in the game. We say yes to the battle. We say yes to the privilege it is to love and serve. God, I pray that my words will fall to the floor. Oh, I pray that I just get out of the way and that your words are sore. God, we love you. We love you. Everybody said? 17 years ago, I said yes to full-time ministry. 22 years old, I was green behind the ears. It was a church plant. Uh, about 100 people we started with uh, about six months in. And uh, when you say yes to a church plant, you're 22 and there's 100 people, you say yes to a lot of positions. So I was the youth pastor. I was the facilities guy. Toilets plugged. You got to take care of it. Okay. Oh. That was hard. Hey, Tyler, the grass is growing. You're the lawn guy. So every Friday, I've been mowing that lawn. Put an alvavine in my ears. Why you got to go make things so complicated? You guys remember that song? I, for some reason, Alvar was my girl back in the day. I'd be rocking that, listening, mowing the lawn. But then the fourth job they gave me was the job that broke me. I can clean clogged toilets. I can mow the lawn for days. But then they said, you're going to be the kids pastor. I said, don't make me the kids pastor. I'm afraid of the kids. They can smell fear. Please don't make me the kids pastor. Tyler, just first season, we're going to find somebody. It was the only time I ever said no to my senior pastor. I, I don't think I can do it. I, it's not my grace. It's not my grace. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't, ah, like just a little bit. That six months turned to a year. So for a year, I, was, I remember showing up for the first one. I had the curriculum on the Sunday. I was doing the kids ministry. And, and you know, the kids were running around. I was like, all right, all right, all right. We, we got, I got a, theory, a, 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 a story about Moses. And the kids are like, ah. And I'm like, and I'm like no, come on. And the kids are like, ah. I'm like, okay. Uh, uh. Everybody sit down. Oh, I got him for 10 seconds, and then, bah, I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I do? So, so finally, I put the curriculum away. I said, who wants candy? And everybody's like, yeah, we got to sit down if you want candy. They're like, okay, okay. Now we're going to play games called the sword game. I think, I, I think that's what I called it. And I was just going to say, I said, everybody, I'm going to pass the Bible out. 
and I'm going to say a verse, and you're going to open it up, and then you're going to, whoever finds the verse fastest gets a piece of candy. The kids are like, oh my gosh, I love kids' ministry. And so, uh, so then I would uh, say, you know, Matthew 6, you know, da-da-da. And the kid would open it up, and I didn't even know what the verse was. And the kid would be like, uh, such as are evil, uh, gouge out your eye. You know, it's not even a verse. But the kid's like, gouge out eye. Uh, here's your candy, kid. Forget about it. You know, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, whatever. Okay. Um, and then I'd say James 4, 6, you know, uh, God opposed the proud against great thumble. Good job, little Jimmy. You know, here, here's some candy, you know. Uh, you know, so I'd say some Old Testament ones, Leviticus. I'm like, why did I say that one? That one's so inappropriate. And the kid would read it. Uh, the Bible is TV mature, okay? Um, and so... That's what I did the first Sunday, and it worked. That's what I did for 52 straight Sundays. I was a terrible kids pastor. When I get to heaven, I for sure am going to have to repent of it. The kids that were in it, when I meet them, I will repent and then say, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry for all the cavities. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the days when you went home and you had a sugar crash with your parents. I'm sorry. Now, uh, what was fun, though, about being a kids pastor is you start to get to know the kids, and you get to know the family. Get to know the parents in a way by just, know, you get to know the parent by getting to know the kid. And, and what I mean by that is I could tell the kids who dressed themselves. The parent that just didn't care about what their kid wore, laid back, and the kid would show up in their pajamas. Hey, Pastor Tyler. I'm like, oh, you no, know, this is what I slept in. Hey, well, you know, hair's like, you know, disarray. You know, parent was probably too busy that day, every Sunday. All good. Hey, let your kid wear pajamas. The other kid wears a costume that day, you know. I'm Spider-Man, Pastor Tyler, you know. Oh, hey, all right. I guarantee you that your mom didn't pick that out for you. Somebody watched Spider-Man last week. You know, I'm Spider-Man, you know. And then the third one would be the one where the parent did dress him. I'd be like, there's no way that Timmy picked out that tie today. There's no way that Timmy got the moose out and did his hair perfectly. Had his shoes shined and walked in with his Bible. And was like, Hello, Pastor Tyler. It's me, Timmy. You know, I'm like, somebody's dressing Timmy. Now, I'm now a pastor of adults. I am an adult. It's crazy to think. I'm going to be 40 this year. And I can tell who dresses themselves, and I can tell who God dresses when I pastor them. I want to hear this real quick. You can tell the parent by meeting the kid. You can tell who's in charge of that person, who, who's the one that is actually shepherding that person by the way that they dress. And I'm not talking physically dressing. I'm talking about the way they conduct themselves. Uh, the helmet of salvation, the helmet of hope, the way they talk about hope. Oh, wow, God's dressing your mind. You're not dressing your own mind because they have a hopeful mind because that's what the helmet of salvation means. They, they have the breastplate of righteousness. Well, they love God well and they love people well. Oh, wow, you dress with the breast. Oh, they, 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 they use the word not as a hammer but as a, as a scalpel. They, they use it in the, in the right context and care. Ooh, that person dresses. When they go through a hard season, they're dressed well and so they respond well. And then I see the ones not responding well not loving one. I'm like, man, you're just not dressed for this. It's interesting that throughout scripture, dress is so important. Can I double down on this thought? You ready for me to double down on it? Uh, the very beginning of the book uh, uh, of the Bible in Genesis, the first thing that Adam and Eve tried to do is dress themselves. And then God has to fix it and kill something and then cover them and dress them. Let's fast forward to the New Testament. There's just a rhythm in Colossians. It says that God says, throw off your old clothes, your old nature, your anger, your shame. Throw it all off and put on some new clothes. Love and joy. I'm going to clothe you with the new things of kingdom. Think about Lazarus. When Lazarus gets saved, what's the first thing that Jesus deals with? His clothes. Take off the grave clothes. My kids don't wear dead clothes. My kids wear nice clothes. My kids wear clothes of life and not death. Think about the prodigal son story. He hugs him and kisses him. The first thing he deals with is, get this off him and put the best robe on, my kid. I love dressing my kids in the best stuff. There's just something about it. Oh, my kid's going to battle? You're not going to have anything for battle. I'm going to give you all the armor. I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to get you suited and booted. So when you go out there, night, night. Something about 
a parent setting their kid up for victory and enjoyment and an abundant life. If we had 10 inches of snow in the Bay Area and your little kid ran out to you, I want to go in the snow. They had shorts and a t-shirt on. They'd never been in the snow. And he said, yeah, go for it. Barefooted, no gloves. Maybe be out there for an hour. Hands are going to freeze. They're going to be miserable. Maybe catch frostbite, maybe even lose a limb. What kind of parent would allow their kid to go out into the snow in those kind of conditions and be burnt by the condition instead of saying, hey, come here. Okay, you want to go outside? I got to put this, these, I don't want to wear the socks. You got to, I don't want to wear these boots. You got to wear these boots. I don't want to wear these pants. You got to wear these pants. I don't want to wear this, I don't want to wear these beanies. Trust me, you're going to want to wear all this because if you go out there with all this, then you'll not only survive, but you'll enjoy the conditions out there. And a lot, I don't want to wear the armor. I don't, I don't want to think about life as a battle. I don't want to wear a shield. I don't, I don't want to wear it. And God's going, no, no, no. If you actually want to thrive out there, you need to put all this on. God cares about what you wear. You ready to see it uh, in scripture? Did I pray? Yeah, I did. Okay, good. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. It's a 95-minute message that I'm trying to condense in 35 minutes. Um, do you believe miracles? Seriously. That's why I was late. This last this one. I was like, oh my God, I got to go. So um, I'm going to try to condense a little bit from last service, but make sure that you get all the meat all the things God wants to say. I do believe the Holy Spirit does guide in each service. There's things he illuminates for certain things and certain services for people. And uh, I'm hoping you really grab something from today. So Ephesians 6 says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Everybody say, be strong. Put on the full armor of God. I love it. Paul and say, would you like to wear the armor? Or would you like to wear the cozy pajamas? Or would you like to have the um, swim trunks? What are you doing today? No, there's no discussion when you have a, a spiritual father. The spiritual father say, you know what you need today? You need the full armor. Yeah. Well, I don't want to wear the full armor. Well, then you're not going to enjoy today. Put on, it, it's, it's not even up to discussion. If I could put it this way, every day I see people put on fake strength. It says, be strong in the Lord. All of us want to be strong, but we put on fake strength some, some way, fake, a fake face. Just like I said, little kids would come dressed up. All of us put on some kind of costume sometime. Just, oh, you know, I saw this thought on Instagram. If I, if I talk this way and act this way, then I'm going to be presented well, so I'm going to put on some fake strength today. Man, if I could just double down on this uh, thought of dressing. When I was in seventh grade, it was the poorest season of my family's life. We were, we were broke, broke. Food stamps, you name it, all good. It's part of my story. I actually love the part of my story. I feel like God really used it uh, in my heart, in my life to leverage for good. But I mean, food stamps, you know, lunch ticket, uh, no money for school clothes, you name it. My dad was out of work. My mom was a part-time waitress trying to raise four kids. It's pretty impossible with that kind of paycheck. So uh, in elementary school, it doesn't matter what you wear. You can wear a Tasmanian Devil t-shirt and American t -sh uh, uh, shorts and walk around and everything thinks you're the coolest things in sliced bread. But then you get to junior high and be like, what are you wearing Tasmanian Devil for? Haven't you heard of the Gap or Abercrombie or Old Navy, you know? And so we had like this group of girls that walk up like, what kind of jeans are you wearing? I love those jeans, you know? And so my buddy's like, oh yeah, these are Gap. You know, so somebody walked up to me. I remember in seventh grade, our schools were K through six and then seven through nine was junior high in Puyallup, Washington. So seventh grade was the first day of junior high. The first day I realized that I needed to wear nicer clothes, I guess. And so the girls came out there, hey, Todd, what are you wearing? What are those jeans? Like Route 66 Kmart? Uh, yeah, pretty cool, right? Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah. Yep, I uh, don't know what it means, but you know, they're like, oh, Ruth Kmart? And I'm like, I'm like oh. These girls, you know, they're all wearing Abercrombie and, and then I only two shirts. And I remember even one of the girls asked me, why do you always wear the same shirt, Tyler? And it just... You always like think, well, it's my favorite shirt. I mean, I got other shirts, of course. I mean, it's not like I'm poor. I got a lot of shirts. And then uh, I remember Christmas came, and my, and my aunt was the rich one in our family. And for Christmas, I always get one good Christmas gift. And so I, I could ask for whatever I wanted. And so I asked for a Chicago Bulls bomber jacket, starter jacket. 
I was in a big Tupac phase at the time. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, yeah, anyways, I could rap Tupac. Anyways, so, 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 um, so I remember putting on the bomber jacket, and it was worth like 150 bucks. It was very expensive. So I wore that every day to present that I actually had a lot of nice stuff. Ooh, Tyler's got a nice starter bomber jacket. That's nice. And then basketball season started. And I remember I had these shoes that literally had dogs on them. It was like a husky. And uh, I'm running around the court and I'm sliding everywhere. And my friends are like, get new shoes, man. Your shoes are terrible. And I was like, oh, you know. And so finally I, I ended up, uh, my aunt getting me new shoes. And um, uh, they were the Converse React Juice. We asked for my Christmas present early that year. So I got my Converse React Juice shoes. They were the Grandma Ma's. They were like over 100 bucks. So I, was, I wasn't sliding anywhere. I remember showing up to practice like, where do you want me to go now, coach? You know, it's, I, I felt swagger get my new shoes on. There's something about it. But I'll never forget 10th grade. Fast forward a few years. My mom comes up to me and goes, my mom now had been promoted to the caterer at the Tacoma Yacht Club. My dad now had a job. So now we actually were middle class. No longer were we on food stamps. And my mom said something to me for the first time I never heard. Are you ready to go school clothes shopping? School clothes? We do that in this family? She's like, Todd, we're going to take you school clothes shopping. You're going to high school. We're going to get you some clothes. I was like, where are we going? I'm going to take you to the Gap. And I remember being like, oh my, I feel like pretty woman. I was like, oh my gosh, big mistake, big mistake, okay? And so, so I walk into the Gap, and, and I'm just buying everything. I'm like, I'll take it, I'll take it, I'll take it. You know, as much as I get, my mom gave me a spending limit, of course. I, I remember I got so caught up, I bought a turtleneck. And, uh, and turtlenecks in high school were not in, okay? But I was like, I, I love it. It was like a khaki turtleneck. And I remember, like, the first week I wore it, I walk in, like, oh, I'm looking good in my turtleneck. And all my friends, when they saw me walk, I'm like, what are you doing? You look like David Copperfield. I, mean, I don't know. I got caught up. I got caught up. But it's Gap. It doesn't matter, man. We don't do turtlenecks right now. So, so I got caught up. But it was one of those moments I couldn't wait to go to the Gap. The Bible says, blessed are those who are poor, for the kingdom of heaven will be theirs. The translation is, blessed are those who realize they are broke. They are poor without God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. All of the clothes of heaven will be theirs. Can I, can I give you an illustration real quick? Some of you think you're not broke, and you're broke. You think I was poor in seventh grade? You're way poor if you don't have God dressing you. you. You've been wearing the same shirt over and over again. You've been wearing the same fake costume. You've been wearing the same things over and over again, trying to get through life. And God's saying, I'd love to take you. Oh, I'd love to take you to the kingdom and put something on you that will be better than anything. And that invitation, once you realize how, oh yeah, I'm ready. I'm re oh, we do that? Okay, I'm not. I'll take that. Oh, yes, I'll take the helmet. I'll take, I'll take it. Give, give me the belt of truth. I'll take it all. There's just something about that eagerness to actually get the things of God. The only reason you'd be eager is because you realize how poor you are and you need it. May God open your eyes to your poverty at times. Amen? Amen. So the first thing he shows is simply this is that you need to uh, be strong and put all of it on. Not some of it, all of it on. Next one is so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. The devil's schemes. Um, who grew up in Pentecostal background? Any Pentecostal background people? Come on, I was saved in Pentecostal church. I'm thankful for my Pentecostal roots. The Holy Spirit's alive and well. Now, the reality, though, is when you get saved in a uh, Pentecostal church, there are charismatics, and then there are charismaniacs. There are people who love the power of the Holy Spirit, and there are people who love the Holy Spirit, and they have no seatbelt. Like the Bible, they're like, Bible, Holy Spirit, yeah. You know? And so you start to see the things of spiritual warfare in only one lens. Everything is just spiritual attacks. You know, I had people tell me like they were about to eat their banana and their banana fell down and they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't bless my banana. They knocked it out of my hand, you know? You know, uh, you know real talk. This is real, like my real experiences. I remember uh, reading a, a, a book that, from a charismatic that I really loved and he talked about how uh, he hadn't paid his rent for three months and Satan had gotten to his um, landlord and made him want to pay his rent. And so it's like bad. I was like, no, no, that, that's not Satan. You need to pay your bills, man. Like, like, but everything was Satan. Everything was spiritual. And then you start reading the Bible, and you realize that there are spiritual attacks. But the greatest weapon the enemy uses over and over again, you see throughout, is just strategies and schemes and culture.
to drift you away from the things of God. And I'll show it to you throughout Scripture. So there's spiritual attacks. There are, if I could just be honest, have you ever had like a thought that you knew wasn't your thought and you wouldn't even tell anybody? Like, like if somebody knew I thought that or, or said, oh my gosh, what? I, didn't know I, was, I, I didn't know I could even have a thought that dark. Anybody ever done that? Yeah. Me either. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Everybody, five people raise their hands. <laughs> okay. The reality is, is that there is darkness around and the enemy will whisper things. That is a real thing. Spiritual attacks are real, but there also are strategies. I want to talk about strategies. Here's a handful of strategies I've noticed the enemy would use throughout the Bible and is using today. One is this. He will enlist you in the wrong war. Satan will sell you a different war. He'll sell you the COVID war. Fight the COVID battle. How's that going for you? I don't even know what side you're on. You know, there's, there's, COVID became a religion, basically. It became a very uh, almost self-righteous religion. If you don't do all these things, you don't care about people. And if you are somebody who has COVID, you are a leper, you must announce yourself, unclean! I was on a run yesterday, and I was meeting somebody. I was like, hey, how are you? I was like, I have COVID, stay away! I was like, I was like, golly, I feel like I'm living in biblical times, you know, like, leper, leper, you know. And so, like, there was a cell, like, you got to do these four things, and if you don't do these four things, you're a sinner. You know, like, it was like this self-righteous COVID battle. And then there's the other battle of, like, uh, COVID is nothing. Don't get the vaccine. It's evil. And if you do, ah! And so then the people are fighting this battle. How did both those battles turn out for you? Because at the end of COVID, when it's over, guess what's going to happen? People still need to go to heaven, and people are still going to hell. It's the wrong war to fight. And trust me, I got some dogs in it. Trust me, I am annoyed of this last two years. Trust me, I have my own opinions. But when I started, it was crazy. When we started this COVID journey, I had so many people tell me, you should do this or you should do that. And I came to this conclusion, Lord, all I'm going to do over and over again is preach the gospel. Yeah. I'll preach it, and I'll preach it some more. I'll preach some more. You need to address this. I don't need, I'm not addressing I'm going to preach the gospel some more. If you could just enlist in the right war and not say yes to the wrong wars, your life would be great. Another thing is, somebody this, I've heard it said this way, if the devil can't make you bad, he's going to make you busy. So one of his schemes, one of his strategies is just to make you busy. Yeah. Oh, I love God. I just don't have time for him. Oh, I want to live for God. I just don't have time for him. Oh, I want to build this house. I just don't have time for him. You're, it's not that you're bad. You just don't got time for him. So the devil's like, I know, okay, this person, they, 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 they have a desire to live right and live well. So I can't get them to live bad. I'll just make them really busy. It's a simple strategy I see over and over. I've lost more people to busyness than I have to spiritual attacks. And I'm like, oh, Tyler, the, the Satan bombed my house with anger and depression. No, it's, Tyler, I don't got time. I'm busy. Another one, simply this, is the enemy will attack with a, a strategy of apathy. Strategy of apathy. Simply put is that if you live this journey long enough, what will happen is, is that you'll say, man, what was it about my, that season? I was on fire for God, and now I don't want to do anything for God. That is a spiritual attack on your life. To lull you asleep. And the only way you stay awake is every morning you wake up, you're going to put on the armor of God. It, it, it even wakes you up. Pray on all occasions and utterances that you would not fall asleep. Oh, stay. It says stay alert. Why is he saying stay alert? Because one of the strategies is that you wouldn't be alert anymore. I'll never forget a little story I heard uh, uh, back in the day, and it was so powerful, is that when you say yes to God and you say yes to building the things of God, Satan starts to know who you are, be ready for attacks. I don't like that at all, but it's real. Look at it in Acts. Uh, this this uh, person's going uh, to these demons, and the demons like, we don't know who you are. We know who Paul is. Satan's not omniscient. Demons aren't omniscient. The reality is that when you start to say yes to God, you start to pick a fight with the enemy, and the enemy starts to send things your way. 
And I remember hearing that. I was like, well, what does that look like when he sends things our way? And, and uh, the story was so, uh, such a powerful story I want to share with you. I'll make it quick. But basically, this young gal wanted to say yes to missions. So now the demons are like, hold on a second. There's a young gal. She wants to say yes to building the kingdom. We got to stop her. And so the demons uh, go to Satan and tell her, hey, uh, she's, uh, she's going to um, uh, go on to missions. How do we stop her? Hey, go tell her she's inferior. Go tell her she's not good enough that she's, she's, she's dumb. Use every, every, every word you can to make her just feel she's not worthy to do what she feels like she's called to do. She comes to the pastor and she goes, I don't know, but this last week, I just felt in my mind over and over again. I just, I'm not, I'm not ready. I'm ill-equipped. I'm inferior. All those things that you hear, that's not from God, by the way. You need to know the shepherd's voice. Oh, Noah's voice. And so the pastor goes, hold on a second. Shares the shepherd's voice. God equips the called. You're more than equipped. It's not about you being good enough. It's about how good the gospel is. You can do this. And they go, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. And then another tack, it could be provision. Oh, I don't have enough money. No, God can provide. God's will, God's bill. If it rhymes, it means it's true. You know what I'm talking about. Come on now. Um, and, and, then, and then shame would come. Oh, oh, I'm shamed. You don't know my past. God could never. No, no, no. He can use you. He can use All these things over and over again. So finally, they tell Satan this. And Satan goes, okay, I got it. Get out of the way. I'm going to do this one. Comes a young gal and simply just says, this is a girl. You have plenty of time. And for some reason, that strategy of you have plenty of time, you can go all in next year with God. You can go all in with community next year. Oh, next small group quarter, that's when you'll actually have community. Oh, next, da, da. And what happens is, is when you have that kind of strategy take root in your life, it turns from one week to one month to one year to two years. You're like, how in the world am I living this way and I used to live that way? Because he said yes to a strategy that was not from God. Wow. Woo! I should stop preaching right there, but that's my first point. Okay, here we go. I haven't even gotten into the armor. I told you it's a 90-minute message, and I have six minutes and 17 seconds. Um, I really have about 15. Can I go four more, 14 more minutes? Okay, go. Cool. Okay, sure. Not really, but okay. Uh, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. First thing we see that uh, uh, God establishes is real Christianity is a fight. Real Christianity is a fight. Some of you fought to get here. Some of you fought on the way here with your spouse. Fights are everywhere, okay? So real Christianity is a fight. You got to fight for your marriage, fight for friendship, fight to stay healthy, fight to stay soft. My, my, my first senior pastor told me, you got to have tough skin and a soft heart, Tyler. You got to fight to keep a soft heart. It's just something about a fight. Another thing it shows us uh, is that, second thing is that Christianity is a struggle. This will be a struggle. Church will be a struggle. It's going to be, you're saying yes to community with a bunch of jacked up people. Church is a struggle. This new thing that's big right now is deconstructing the church. Another word for deconstruction is called hurt. I've been hurt by the church. People are deconstructing the church and departing. They're not deconstructing and rebuilding. Yes, some liturgies should be tossed out. Yes, some methods should be tossed out. But Jesus and the community of God should never be tossed out. The church will be a struggle. I may mess up one day. I don't think I will. I think I'm on about a thousand with you. Not. Okay, let's use the not joke. That's, uh, that's an old one. That's a 90s one. Um, the suit is black. Not. Okay, so nice. Um, but the church will be a struggle. Another thing that's going to be a struggle is politics will be a struggle. The, the nation will be a struggle. Wherever you live will be a struggle. We want, there are tensions you can manage and struggles you can solve. These are ones the Bible shows. These will just be struggles till Jesus comes back. Doesn't mean that you can't have heaven on earth. Doesn't mean you can't have peace in your home. But there always will be a struggle as you fight for those things. So there'll be a struggle in the nation. Another thing there'll be a struggle with is there'll be a struggle with yourself. So you'll be struggling with yourself. Why am I still sinning like this? Why did I do that yesterday? Oh, why do I think that way? Why do I respond that way? Oh, you struggle with yourself. And then you struggle with people. Why did that person do that? Why are people so dumb? 
You ever say that? My wife and I the other day were like, man, sometimes I understand dark night now. Just have people walk on the ice and get rid of the bad ones. You ever done that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We said it. We didn't mean it. We're pastors. But sometimes you feel that way. Just people, when they look like they're the problem, you're like, just get rid of the ones that think differently from me and everything's fine. It's a struggle. So what do you do if there's a struggle? This is what uh, one of the theologians says. Paul says, if you blame the problems in your life strictly on your own failures or on church or on politics or on the world, you'll end up hating the world or hating the church or hating yourself or hating people. Do you know what righteous anger is? There's two, two Greek words for righteous. Uh, so righteous is a relational term, right standing. And the other one is straight and not crooked. So righteousness would be straight, not crooked. So when you are angry and hate the wrong things, you are having an unrighteous anger towards it. I have an unrighteous anger towards politics. Right? I have an unrighteous anger towards the church. I have an unrighteous anger towards myself. I have an unrighteous anger. God says, I want to straighten out your anger and I want to be pointed at Satan and the gates of hell. Because sin should bother you. Pain should bother you. The brokenness of the world should bother you. Some of the laws being passed should bother you. When you read that, how could this happen? Why is this happening? Take that angst, point it at the gates of hell, and start praying against what actually is causing it. There's something to be said about somebody saying, okay, I'm frustrated, but I'm going to point it at the right things. I'm going to have righteous anger. I'm going to point it at the gates of hell. I'm going to love people well. They're not the problem. The gates of hell is the problem. Oh, the principality that rules this region, I'm going to push them back day by day because I'm angry when I see what's happening in my Bay Area. Oh, can I get an amen for that? You ever hear those pastors? I'm preaching better than you're responding. That's happening right now. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm preaching better than you're responding in the chats. I'm kidding. Okay. Um, third thing we see is it's spiritual. Third thing we'll see. Let's keep going. We're almost done. Um, next one. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth blocked, uh, buckled around your waist. The two things he shows us with this first one that we're putting on is the belt of truth is that back in the day, Roman soldiers would wear a robe. And so if you're going to go to battle, you're not going to go to battle with things that can trip you up. So you got to pull the robe up and you got to belt it up. And the reality is that you need to know that you are called to fight and you're in a fight. And so there are things that are tripping you up right now. So the belt of truth has you declutter your life of the things that are tripping you up. That's the first thing it does. Second thing is, is that truth is everything when you go into battle. If you don't know truth, you don't know who to shoot. It's one of the things that I feel like when I first start pastoring somebody, we're all given like basically scripture and truth and it's almost like a, a spiritual gun and I got to teach them where to point it. Oh, no, no, like, hey, can you believe that other church? No, 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 we don't shoot other churches. Oh, no, no, hey, can you believe that person in church? No, 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 we don't shoot other people in our church. Oh, can you believe, no, 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 that's not what we do. The truth shows that we don't do that. We reconcile, we forgive, we speak well people, we don't gossip. There's just something about having truth to point your life in the right direction. So I, I want to show you something real quick. Here's why truth is so important. There's three, and three weapons the enemy would use in this uh, war, if I could just highlight three. One is intimidation. Intimidation is this. If you speak truth, you're done. If you say what is true, you're canceled. If you speak the truth of God, you're done. So intimidation now is something the church has to deal with. In America, we've never had to deal with it, to be honest. We've always been able to say true. and like, You used to like, be able from the pulpit say, Da-da-da, da-da-da, and the whole, the whole church be like, yeah, and now it's like you said, the church like, hold on a second, you believe that? You know, I mean, my, my buddy who pastors in New York, said, he, he started teaching uh, a Bible study class, and one of the things he was teaching was that God made man and woman, and people right there started, hold on a second, what do you mean man and woman? There's more than just man and woman. I mean, he couldn't even get past the first chapter of the Bible. 
Because the reality is there's different uh, um, uh, mindsets and different truths out there, and the Bible is the truth. Yes. Even what I just said there might offend you. Right. I don't care. Actually, I do, because I'm a pew pleaser. Please don't be mad at me. <laughs> oh, it's hard. So anyways, so there's something about reading the Bible and speaking what's true. One of the greatest things that ever happened in my life is having people in my life that speak truth to me. Yeah. Know your calling where you're supposed to speak truth. Don't go speak truth to the Starbucks person that doesn't even know you. Right. Go speak truth to people that you love. I remember I, 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 I was in love with the Lord, 16, fell in love with the Lord. Two years went by. I'm 18. I started dating this girl, and I liked her a lot. She lived far away from Puyallup, about an hour drive. So Saturday nights, we'd hang out, and I'd hang out late. I didn't have a curfew, so I'd come home at 3 a.m., and church was on Sunday. I'd just sleep in. And one of my buddies said, Tyler, what happened to you, man? I said, what do you mean? Man, you used to love God. You used to be in the church every Sunday. You've been gone for two months. Well, I'm dating a girl. It's just hard to get to. You're going to let a girl, like, man, I, this isn't the Tyler I know. And I remember it bothered me. I felt like, how judgmental. First, I was like, I was like you, don't, you don't get it, hater. You wish you were had a girlfriend, you know? You know? All the single people, all, you know, whatever, you know? So, I, ah! And then I started driving home, and I started weeping. Because there's something about the truth that just pierced me in a place like, Lord, I, I don't love you the way I did. And somebody loved me enough, and they weren't intimidated enough, and they actually spoke truth and love, and it saved me from myself. And speak truth to people you love. Oh, speak it to them. Let them know if they're, they're being gossipy or unkind. Say, hey, come on, hold on. That's not, that's not you. You know that's not you. Second thing that happens, another weapon is compromise. Satan won't even be up front and try to punch the face. He'll just try to make a good deal with you. Hey, what do you think about just this part? Surrender this part. How about this part? Just surrender this part of your life. Oh, just surrender this part. And then surrender this part. Eventually, as the enemy has you compromise truth after truth after truth, you realize you don't even know who you are anymore and who God is anymore, and there is no more ground to be taken back because you're owned by him and you're not being led by God. Oh, don't compromise truth to the enemy. And last but not least, the other thing is deception. I've lost more people to deception than anything else in the church. The enemy uh, in deception, one of the greatest spiritual warfare battles you see is Matthew 4. Jesus is going to go into his purpose and go change the world. We're supposed to follow Jesus. Go into your purpose and change the world. And what happens? Satan comes and sells him a lie. Do it this way. Live this way. Uh, um, you can have all of this. And over and over again, how does Jesus battle Satan? With truth. Scripture, scripture, scripture. I could preach that. That could be a sermon in itself. But the reality is, is um, if I could use an illustration, the Bible is like the True Car app. Now, True Car, if you know what the True Car app is, is if you go to um, a, um, a car lot to buy a car, I'm going to use an illustration, the car salesman, Satan. I'm sorry if you're a car salesman. I know car salesman, but for this illustration, you've got to be Satan, okay? It's cool. Okay, sweet. So the car salesman, Satan, and then uh, trying to sell you a car. And uh, back in the day, you didn't have this true car app. And so the, the, the car salesman could say, hey, this Ford Explorer, you know, there's a chip shortage. It's the only Explorer in the Bay Area. It's 85 grand. I know, I know the sticker price says 60, but it's 85 grand. And if you don't buy it today, there's no more Explorers. Like, oh, my gosh, I should buy it. Like, Hold on a second. There's a true car app tells me all the cars in the area, that how much they sold for the last week, and there's any other ones, and how much they sell for. So you pull up the true car app, and you're like, uh, actually, there's one selling for 60 grand two blocks down the road at the other dealership. And the car, oh, man, I wish you didn't have that app, because before I could tell you a different price, and you had no idea. Oh, I can't rip you off anymore. And the reality is, the saying goes, hey, this is what it costs to live a good life. And like, hold on a second, that actually will destroy my life, because I got the truth, and it's the belt of truth. I'm not going to listen to your lies. It's amazing. A lie does not have to be true to be powerful. A lie just has to be something you buy into and you oversell for. Oh, have the belt of truth in your life. Amen? Amen. I got seven minutes. Hey, thank you. I'm trying to today. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, with the breastplate of righteousness. We're going to do the breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to give you a 30,000 view on this one. This should be a seven-week series. I, I hope you're getting some out of it today. Um, 
with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Uh, when I was a young Christian, I pictured righteousness as integrity, character, um, don't do anything wrong. Put on the don't do anything wrong breastplate and go live today. And then you study the word of righteousness, and it actually is a relation word to be right standing. And basically, if I could read you a quote, this is, this is when I put on the breastplate of righteousness best in my life. I wrote this down as a thought of my own. I love people best when I allow God to love the worst of me. The only way the breastplate of righteousness goes on your own heart is that if you start your day and say, God, here's all of me, the best, the worst, the ugliness, and God loves you and loves all of you, forgives you, he's reconciling things, you, never, you let him see everything. And as you allow God to see everything in your life, you realize, man, I'm so broken, but I'm so loved. And because you're so broken, so loved, you start, God, if you, if you could conquer this, I can love the same thing out there. If you can redeem this, I can be a part of redeeming the same thing out there. And so what happens is when you're a great lover of God and you're loved well by God, you love people well. That's what the breastplate of righteousness means. And now the other part of righteousness, uh, right standing, is the crooked industry, aka it's been approved. And a way that I could say this to you real quick, it's like a house that's been earthquake approved. But who really knows if a house is earthquake approved until there's an earthquake? Can we agree with that? But once an earthquake hits, a big one, and your house is standing like, man, this is a good house. And really what the breastplate of righteousness is, is it's getting you earthquake approved. That there will be a shaking in your life. There'll be a shaking in a relationship. There'll be a shaking in things. And you're, the breastplate right say, ah, I'm standing firm. I still love you. I'm standing firm. I'm still building. I'm standing firm. I'm not, hey, Bay Area, there's been a shaking. But my breastplate of righteousness says, I'm not giving up on you. Oh, there's been an earthquake here. I want to leave. Nope. My, I, God loves my brokenness. I'm going to love this brokenness. There's just something about having that kind of breastplate. Ooh, soft, uh, tough skin, soft heart. Loving people well. That's what it means to love people well. Are you getting anything out of the message today? All right, we're almost done. We're almost done. And with the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel piece. So it says, for your shoes, put on the gospel. Now there's two words for life in the Greek, bios and zoe. Bios is just the quantity of life. It's the generic term for life. And then Zoe is the quality of life, the description of the type of life God would want you to live, the abundant life. So, so there's a Zoe life that God comes and promises. I have come to give life and life abundantly, a Zoe life. It's the gospel message that Jesus would die uh, a death we should, uh, uh, die the death that we should have died and live the life we should have lived so we can actually say yes to a Zoe life. That's the, that's the promise on the gospel, I put it that way. So why is it out of all the parts that you could be putting on that the... <laughs> that the shoes would be the gospel. Not the shield, not the breastplate, not the helmet, not the belt. Why the shoes? You didn't know something about shoes. Shoes at this time, ever since Alexander the Great, were the most important thing for you to wear. If you wanted to stand firm in battle, they had cleats. They're almost like cleats, the shoes that he's talking about. If you want to stand firm, not slide around, they had cleats on them. They had to fit well. If they didn't fit well, you'd have blisters and your feet would be done. Can you imagine? You have all the right armor, but you're wearing the wrong shoes. How would it feel to walk into battle? Can you imagine wearing stilettos to climb Mount Everest? Can you imagine that? You can't, it would be impossible. It would be painful. And what, what, he's, what he's trying to show you is simply this. John Wooden, I'll, I'll double down on this. When the basketball players would, would start the first practice, John Wooden, UCLA head coach, greatest college coach of all time, he would teach basketball players two things before anything else, how to put socks on and how to tie their shoes. And these young kids were like, Coach, why are you teaching me how to put socks on? Why do you teach me how to tie my shoes? And he said, if you don't put your socks on correctly, you don't tie your shoes correctly, you'll get a blister in a few days and you won't even be able to play in the game. And the reality is, is if you don't re realize how to put the gospel in your life every day, you'll get blisters, you'll get religious and self-righteous, and you won't be able to walk the way God called you to walk anymore. 
The gospel is simply this. Jesus died for me. He loves me. I'll never be good enough, but he is good enough. Oh, Jesus loves me. He died for me. He loves me. I'm, I, I'm okay. Because what, what's the other option? Okay, I got to do this today. I got to do this today. I got to do this day. You start dressing yourself in self-righteousness. What happens with the quantity of life is all of us are going to live a number of years. So every step could be a year. And you walk in with the gospel, it will give you peace in your weak moments, and it will give you joy in your great moments because God gets all the glory. There's just something about Jesus being a part of every step of your life. It will change the not only quality of your life, but the quantity of your life. Can I get amen for that? Woo! Make sure the gospel is a part of every day. Come on. Almost done. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith uh, with which can extinguish all flame and arrows of the evil one. I'm going to invite uh, my uh, keys or guitar. Who we got? Harry, the man, the myth, the legend. I love Harry. Harry and Gemma have been with us since day one. Pillars. Pillars in this house. Just the best. Love them to death. I didn't know them. So we, did you guys come the first Sunday, Harry? Yeah. Mailer? Was it a mailer? No, like, you know, like, 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 did you guys get a mailer? Like, how did you hear about it? There you go. Come on. Are you happy you came? I'm happy you came. We just had a moment. I love Harry. So take the helmet of salvation. Uh, oh, sorry, the shield of faith, uh, with which you can extinguish all flame and arrows of the evil one. I wrote a simple thought. Fear freezes you and faith moves you. Why do you need a shield? Because it's going to be hard to move forward. Oh, it's going to be hard, church. It's hard to move forward. It's hard to love again. It's hard to serve again. It's hard to believe that your big mistake is not going to hurt your next season in life. It just takes faith in believing that the one who is the author and the redeemer is actually going to do that in the next season. When one season tells you something else, when fear tells you something else, fear just freezes. Man, the church should be full of faith and not fear. I, have, I mean, I have a whole message on that, but I got no time, so we're going to go to the next one. Uh, take the helmet of salvation. Simply put, it means the helmet of hope. The Roman soldiers would have little symbols on their helmets, and they would show victory uh, of past battles. And so they would go into a battle going, hey, I've won a battle before, I'm going to win again. And really what the helmet means is we put on the helmet of salvation, okay, the greatest battle has been won, my soul has been saved, the grave has been conquered, death has lost its sting, I can put on the helmet of salvation knowing that I have hope for everything else, because if God can conquer the grave, he can conquer this in my life. I'm going to a new thing. There's something about putting that kind of hope on your life. And then last but not least, uh, and the uh, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is the word of God. So it's to take the sword. So now you got all these things to protect you, but now you're going to need something to fight with, something to battle with, take back ground. Now the word, uh, word is rhema and the sword is mahira. All the swords that Paul could have chose, he didn't choose a big old sword, he didn't choose a big old hammer. He chose the word mahira, which is a small knife. If I could use the term, almost like a scalpel. Okay, you're going to go into battle and I'm going to give you the word of God but don't use it like a hammer on people. If people get done talking to you and they feel like they just got hammered with scripture, and they, oh, so good to know that scripture now, thank you. <laughs> take care. But if people are with you and you take out the word, the mahir of the sword, because it's more like a scalpel and you cut away the shame from their life with the power of Jesus and the truth of Jesus and you cut away their past and you, you, you start cutting away the things and you start adding things, you start doing heart surgery with the scalpel that God's giving, which is the word, the Mahira. And people walk away and say, man, I didn't know I could be free of this. I didn't know God saw me this way. I didn't know there's more in me. I, didn't, I had no idea that God loved me that much. There's just something about that kind of Christian that knows how to wield the sword. I mean, like a surgeon with a scalpel, they're just not throwing it away everywhere. They are careful in how they use it. Oh, be careful with how you use the word of God with people and use it well. And the last thing, if I could just tell you this, and I'll, I'll pray is that 
it's an interesting picture that all the armor is for the front and there's nothing in the back. Paul doesn't say, hey, so when you retreat, put on your cape so you don't get hit in the back while you run away from everything. Each season, church, I want to encourage you. If you stand it firm this season, I applaud it. If you're moving forward this season, I applaud it. But I really believe that God's doing something in our house. We are going to take back ground in 2022. Souls are going to be saved. Lives are going to be changed. God's going to build his team. What I love is God has been maneuvering chess pieces. I'm playing checkers. He's playing chess. And he's building a team. He's sending great people to this house because great people are going to come here and they need to be shepherded. Are you ready to change the world, church? We bow your heads. God, I thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. I thank you for the gift that the armor of God is. I thank you that it's something that, oh, that, that is something to be treasured. Oh, not something, oh, I got to put it on today. No, it's a great thing, God. I thank you for the gift that the armor is. With every head bowed, I close. You want to say yes to Jesus. Yes to heaven, no to hell. With every eye closed uh, and every head bowed, you want to say yes to Jesus. I just want you to raise your hand, catch my eye. On the count of three, if you want to say yes to salvation. One, two, three. You want to say yes to heaven, no to hell. Yes to Jesus. That's a great decision. I see you. I'll never forget raising my hand. If you want to say yes, you can say yes in the chats or email us. We want to celebrate with you. Mission Church, I love you. Next week, we're in numbers. This is our God. Woo, it's going to be a good one. I can't wait. I'll see you next week. God bless, 10 a.m. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.